Hello, and once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Puzzling Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for match six of our sports bracket. This week is our showdown on ice, where we will be discussing figure skating film Blades of Glory from 2007, as well as hockey film Slapshot from 1977. Both of these are movies in which men's atypical expression of their bodies is a primary part of the climax. Also, before we get into this, both of these films are dealing with issues regarding gay men, and also in one case, bisexual and lesbian women, in some not great ways. If you don't want to deal with that, I would recommend just skipping this episode, because it's going to be a pretty significant portion of our discussion. That said, if that's what you're into, that's what this is going to be about. So, this is the gender and sexuality episode. Happy Pride Month! Happy Pride Month! (laughs) Uh, you got me Blades of Glory for Pride Month. I didn't realize you hated me that much. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, speaking of Blades of Glory, let's go ahead and get into that plot summary. Uh-uh. When rival men's single skaters Jimmy McElroy and Chaz Michael Michaels compete against each other at the 2002 World Winter Sports Games, they tie for gold. Unfortunately, they can't stand each other and end up in a fist fight in the middle of the medal ceremony. Due to their disgraceful conduct, both of them earn a lifetime ban from the sport. Three and a half years later, Jimmy is stuck working in a sporting goods store and Chaz is a mascot in a children's ice show. A stalker fan of Jimmy's confronts him and reveals a loophole in the rules, allowing him to compete in figure skating doubles. Determined to regain his honor, Jimmy contacts his old coach, Robert, about the plan and begins looking for a partner. Jimmy's search leads him to the ice show Chaz was just fired from, and the two end up fighting again. Robert sees the footage of the fight on the news and realizes they can compete together. Robert realizes that the novelty of a same-sex doubles pair will only get them so far, and begins training them to perform the Iron Lotus, a maneuver that's never been successfully performed without decapitating the airborne member of the pair. Jimmy and Chaz begin to bond during training, but their opponents, the Van Waldenbergs, force their younger sibling, Katie, to sabotage their partnership. Still not enough certainty for the Van Walderbergs, they kidnap Chaz and Jimmy before their performance to force a forfeit. However, the duo escapes and begins their routine, only to be undermined again, causing Chaz to break his ankle. Desperate, Jimmy and Chaz switch places and attempt the Iron Lotus. They land the move successfully, without any beheadings, and win gold. Jimmy forgives Katie, the Van Walderbergs are arrested, and Jimmy and Chaz fly off together on their rocket skates. I'm not making any of this up. <laughs> I knew there was figure skating. I knew there was weird homoeroticism. I didn't know that North Korea and rocket skates were going to be part of the plot. I feel like I would have watched it sooner, honestly. Yeah, and like the climactic routine is performed to Queen. Admittedly, one of the Queen songs that I skip whenever it comes up with my Queen Pandora. It feels very outside of their normal sound. When it first started, I didn't even recognize the song. I thought it was from Styx. Yeah, exactly. Now that we've gotten into the in-depth discussion of our feelings about Queen's obscure songs and Styx, what I'm sure you were here for, let's talk about Blades of Glory. Yeah. Um, do we want to start with the good, the bad, or the ugly? Let's start with the ugly. So, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is frustrating in that he makes movies with a lot of technical competence. The plot is incredibly solid, the color choices are great, the acting is very good, etc. Even every once in a while, there's actually a really smart joke. There's a bit where... They're laughing at us. Hey, they laughed at Louis Armstrong when he said he was going to go to the moon. 
Now he's up there laughing at them. Which had me in hysterics. That is an excellent joke. Or there's a scene where Chaz is coaching Jimmy and the Van Waldenbergs are coaching their younger sister, Katie, on how to ask the other out on a date. (laughs) So it's just these two very naive young people getting very sexually charged advice from their mentor figures. It's the Mac attack. What up? Okay, say, oh my, you're just catching me getting out of the shower. Sell yourself. You know, you just caught me getting out of the shower. She just got out of the shower. Oh, me like No, 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 no. I had to call her back. No, are you insane? No, shit, get back on the phone. Say, shower, I gotta get me one of those, because I just got back from the gym doing my squat thrust. And then when it cuts to what they're wearing on the dates, you noticed, Mm -hmm. I, I didn't, that they were probably dressed by their respective mentor figures. Mm-hmm. And it's not brought up, it's not mentioned. It's just a really subtle joke done with costuming, which is really impressive. Then later on, they're like both talking about their childhood traumas and like they bond over that. And that's also a weirdly heartwarming scene. It helps that Katie is played by Pam from The Office. But unfortunately with Will Ferrell usually comes a lot of crude, crass, lowest common denominator comedy. So you still look like a 15-year-old girl, but not hot. Such a weird, gross insult. Yeah. Charles Michael Michaels has this whole sex addiction through line that is not great. Yeah, they make sex addicts the butt of a lot of jokes, and it's just gross. While there are worse things to make as the butt of jokes, we'll get into later, they could have picked any non-real addiction, and it might have been just as funny, if not funnier. Mm-hmm. The example I gave was, like, addictive Yu-Gi-Oh playing. <laughs> Being super into playing D&D for keeps. Mm-hmm. Also, really unfortunate part of this movie, not 15 minutes in and they drop an arsler. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, I believe that that's the only one. I didn't catch any others, but still not a great look. It's 2007, so maybe not that surprising, but we didn't get any F-slurs in this movie, which surprised me. Mm-hmm. Like, honestly, of all the movies I expected it was going to be, I figured this was going to have at least one of them, but no. Mm-hmm. Glee had more than this one did. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. But there is a lot of homophobic humor in this, even still. Like, I mean, everyone is having a bad time with their gender, their sexuality, their interaction with fat people. No identities are not reminded of their marginalization, except, I guess, there's not a lot of racism in this. No, but I also don't recall any people of color in this. There was the black dance instructor. Oh, yes. Yeah. There, there's the choreographer and his dance troupe. Okay. Congrats, you you slid through there. Yeah. You, that low bar of not being openly racist. Yeah, you, you cleared that. Yeah. Awesome. But the inherent joke here is that it's funny that these two men are dancing together, or ice skating, dancing, whatever. That, that these two men are being physically and emotionally intimate. So kind of by default, you just not greatness there. It's not played up as much as I expected. By the end, when they're actually like opening up to each other and being emotionally intimate and available, it's heartwarming. Yeah. You I hate d- to say that about a Will Ferrell movie, but... Yeah, you just have to look past all the scenes where they're posing and have their bulges in each other's faces. Yeah. Which, they made those dance routines. They don't have to do that. They chose that. Yeah. There's, uh, there may be something there that wasn't there before, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no. Alarming. 
Yeah, there are a lot of points in this film where Will Ferrell's character doth protest too much. A bit, yeah. And I know it's, you know, maybe not always great to imply that someone who's got a lot of homophobia going on is secretly gay, but it's not quite that same dynamic here. There's a lot going on with Chaz's sexuality, and um, I don't have any professional training for uh, diagnosing that sort of thing. I'm just going to say there's probably more going on there than the film outright states. Yeah, I've got something I want to show you. I had it done last weekend. <laughs> It's you, the wolf, that runs with the lone wolf, so that the lone wolf never has to be alone again. That's how much you mean to me, bro. So when this movie came out, I was 13, 14, and there were probably a lot of other 13, 14-year-old people who were gonna start figuring out that they were into men about this time as well. And this might have been the first time they're seeing, like, two men being intimate with each other in a way that isn't kind of accidental to the plot, but is you're, but you're specifically meant to think about their intimacy and the, like, male-male pairing that's happening here, and how this might have been some people's first experience seeing something that could easily be read as queer sexuality represented on screen. And I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. I have yeah. weird mixed feelings happening. Yeah. We're never going to get a film like this again. This is right in that spot as uh, gay marriage was becoming legal in some states, but not yet a complete federal policy. I think that's the window that you have to have this film in. Yeah, being gay was something that people knew about, but wasn't a thing that you weren't allowed to make the butt of a joke anymore, mm -hmm. as it were. I mean, not that that's gone away by any means, but PC culture has ruined the homophobia industry. <laughs> We're not going to get a Blades of Glory 2020. <laughs> Blades of Glory, but it's cyberpunk. Moving on from our leads, uh, we have some wonderful villains. Two men skating together, and in our division, no less? Why, Strons? Why is God singling us out for the greatest suffering the world has ever known? We do the uh, Van Waldenbergs, who are played by Will Arnett and Amy Poehler, mm -hmm. and they are hamming it up, dialing it up to 11. The way they treat their sister is horrific, specifically played for laughs. And that's the kind of humor where, even though it is you know, maybe something that shouldn't be played for laughs, it definitely made me laugh with how, like, it crossed the line then came all the way back around to it. Yeah, like it was it was so cartoonish in the way that they were doing no, it. No, I'm not spying for you again. Find someone else. What's that, mother? Don't you and father are sad that you were killed driving Katie to her ice skating lesson all those years ago? Yeah, me too. Remember how they used to be alive? Yeah, and I think if you're going to play something for laughs, that's kind of the way you need to do it. You just need me. This is so completely ridiculous. There's no way that anyone could think you're condoning this. At the very end, they get arrested and then have a uh, incestuous makeout session. It's weird when the first male-male figure skating couple is the less sexually deviant of the people on the rink. I think that's specifically why they did it. And yes. Like... You know, I, I appreciate that. There's also, like, we've talked about Katie being a wonderful character before. There's also this great scene where the, her brother and sister have convinced her to try and break up Jimmy Chaz's team and doing so by seducing Chaz and, like, having Jimmy find out about it. And the very fine needle that Jenna Fisher is threading, playing this very naive uh, inexperienced character who is trying to seduce this horndog sex addict character is really, really interesting. This movie would work 
very much not at all if the actors weren't talented and weren't hitting their marks really well. Yeah. Speaking of hitting their marks, we get a somewhat extended chase scene with Will Arnett chasing down Will Ferrell with a crossbow while they're both on ice skates through a mall. Yeah. It's... (laughs) It's wonderful. Unfortunately, the other half of that chase scene is interspersed with Josh Heater being handcuffed in a bathroom stall and having to finesse a roll of toilet paper with the handcuff key on it on the bathroom floor, and it is just gross and also uninteresting. I mean, I get the joke is that Jimmy McElroy is prim, proper, you know, doesn't get his hands dirty one, but yeah. yeah. There was another way that you could have done that. Yeah. I will say that we get the whole thing where the Van Waldenbergs are trying to stop Michael Michaels and McElroy team. It goes on kind of long, and I wish we had maybe a little bit less of that. There's a little more skating, a little bit more of them actually doing the sport that they're doing. Yeah. Especially with um, Amy Poehler tossing her pearls onto the rink and Chaz running over one, that breaks his ankle. That seems weird and breaks my suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I think we could have had just a little bit more time in the rink and a little bit less time with the machinations or maybe have the machinations be better interspersed or even introduce like one more very minor antagonist for a kind of a mini boss from the fight. It would have... I think bolster that narrative just a smidge. Yeah. This film does get a boost for having William Daniels in it, even if it's a very small role. Mr. Feeney! I just love Mr. Feeney. <laughs> yeah, you shouted Feeney at the screen. During the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to the characters during their competition. We see their routines that are completely evenly matched. And they introduce Chaz Michael Michaels. He does his routine. And then at the end in the film, he like lifts his hands up and there's a flash paper. So you see like this flare out of his hand. And while we're watching, you were just like, did he just fire a gun? (laughs) And I'm like, no, but everything I know about this character, I understand why you think that. And B, that would have been funnier, right? (laughs) Just pulls out a gun and shoots it. That's exactly what Chaz Michael Michaels would do. Okay, I know that Wanted is a very bad film, but imagine (laughs) if all the gun foo was happening on ice. Wouldn't Wanted be better on ice? Okay, what you're talking about, we need like a full-blown like biathlon movie? Like ski and shoot? (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. I want to see if what exists. (laughs) All right. I think we have exhausted our notes for Blades of Glory for the time being. Yeah. Uh, We we went in knowing this one was not going to be very strong, and it wasn't maybe as bad as we expected, but there's some rough stuff. We definitely had a uh, low bar set for this one, and it did manage to exceed our expectations, so I will give it that. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to a film that neither of us had any idea what we were in for. Nope. Slapshot. Yeah. Um, So Slapshot is from 1977. Uh, It's one of the few films on this bracket written by a woman, so that's exciting. The Charleston Chiefs are a failing hockey team in a failing town until Coach Dunlop discovers a secret about an opponent's goalie and goads him into a brawl that reinvigorates the crowd and Coach Dunlop, who retools the team into new violent strategies. Their berserker gang playstyle draws crowds, but alienates Ned, former star player, who just wants a good clean game. Dunlop pushes the wedge between Ned and his already not that here for hockey wife to try to drag him down to no avail. Despite the crowds, Dunlop discovers the team will be dissolved for tax reasons at the end of the season, and the championship game will be their last. He convinces the team to play fair for their one last game. Unfortunately, the opponents have assembled a sort of hockey suicide squad, and the Chiefs have to resort to violence to win anyway, turning the game into a brawl. Seeing his wife cheering them on, Ned jumps into the rink 
to a striptease, diverting the crowd. The opposition is so incensed by this, of all things, that they hit a referee and are disqualified. Chiefs win by default and are scouted to other teams, ending as winners. Of a kind. <laughs> of a kind. They are technically the winners of that championship. <sighs> Where do we want to start with Slapshot? Okay, so I have one note of actual praise. And it's, there's a very good edit at one point. Coach Dunlop, played by Paul Newman, uh, starts making sex at Suzanne, I think. That's Suzanne. Yes. And just as that starts, we smash cut to some Komodo dragons fighting on a TV. And it's an amazing cut. That is so funny. That is such a good bit. There are a few great comedic scenes in this film. There's one point where the fighting has gotten so out of hand for the Chiefs that a fight breaks out before the game even starts. There aren't referees on the field to break it up. And so you then have these teams standing for the national anthem before the game and there's just blood dripping down their faces. (laughs) And the referees just keep turning to glare at them. Three of you guys, you pull one thing, you're out of this game. Now I run a clean game here. I have any trouble, I'll suspend you. I'm looking at a fucking song! In one of the many scenes of Coach Dunlop hitting on Lily, Ned's wife, he chides her for walking through a park saying, Jesus, Lily, there's been three rapes and two murders in this park in one year. I didn't do it. Which is a really good comeback. There are comedic high points of this film. However, there's also a lot of this film's humor that has not aged well. Yeah, okay, yeah. We're hitting the high points because there aren't many of them and we want to just get them out of the way. This this film is a disaster. Yeah, this film is a disaster, like, technically and by, like, modern content standards. <laughs> Some of the filming, the characters. We almost always watch the films all the way through. We rarely stop them. This is one where I was like, it's getting late. This is not worth staying up for. I got work in the morning. We just stopped it. And I was like, maybe we'll just not finish this one. To be fair, the second half was much better than the first. Yeah, that's when the plot is happening. Yeah. My summary where I talk about retooling the team to do some violence, that's like an hour before we get to that point. That should have happened within the first 30 minutes. This film's first act is a bloated mess. Mm -hmm. It's trying to get you to care about a lot of characters that don't matter much to the overall plot and aren't terribly great people to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of homophobic louts. It was just like a marathon of slurs in one of the scenes. Charleston has a mill that's closing in the next month or two, and they're going to lay off 10,000 people. You think that would be like a really big deal? You think that like raising money for the town is going to be a big part of the oomph of the plot, and it doesn't really come up towards the end? It sets the tone, but then this thing that should be a big plot point just vanishes. Yeah. And the movie had time. The movie had time. Yeah. This film has no idea what pacing is at all. Mm -hmm. One of my notes is nothing is happening. There are some very bright points of comedy, but they are few and they are far between. Uh, There are no bright points in this movie. No one has lit it. There is no lighting. It's like the Battle of Winterfell episode of Game of Thrones. Like, it is so dark. Even the kind of scenes that are supposed to be like bright and happy and fun. There's just no one had the budget for a light bulb. I will say that one dark scene that I really did enjoy uh, the lighting on was the scene in the dark with Reg and Francine after they get back from the bar and they're like talking about you know their separation and relationship and all that sort of stuff. I think the darkness works there. Oh for sure. It creates a sense of uh, of intimacy and the light playing off of them makes them like kind of vibrant dynamic figures in an otherwise dark space and 
I think that is exactly what an old flame can feel like. Yeah. There it works. But a lot of this is like scenes in locker rooms or bars where there's just no lighting to fill the space. Yeah. There's also a lot of background noise that's not useful. Like, there are plenty of scenes where they've got a TV in the background blaring and it's just making it difficult to hear things. There's also a few points in the film where the camera specifically cuts to what's on TV as if it's relevant to the plot. We see a little bit of a soap opera just because the hockey team's watching it. Yep. Which would work if we were cutting back and forth to them commenting on it and we were like, okay, now we're learning more about their characters here, but that's like two-thirds of the way through the film with characters who we don't really care about. I will say that while we don't care about the characters, it does do a good job of making the hockey team feel fairly fleshed out. I can think of a good six or seven characters who have like lines and some like personality to them who feel different in this team. I don't like any of them, but I know who they are. Yeah. The one person on the team that I come closest to liking is Ned. Ned is the nice one who doesn't want to fight. His relationship with his wife Lily is real crappy and I'm not necessarily sure who's necessarily at fault for all of that. The writers. Yeah, the writers. (laughs) At the end of the film they do kind of come to an understanding and wind up patching it up so that's really good. And I also really like that Ned never compromises his principles and he never gets in and just starts beating on other players for a fight. He eventually concedes like, yeah, our best shot at this is to be provocative, but he goes about it in his very own way. Because of a few pointed comments that I couldn't tell if they were just homophobic jabs or if they were like actual plot points, I really thought that the reveal was going to be that Ned was gay and that's why his marriage wasn't working because he didn't couldn't love his wife and nothing in the film confirms or denies that so who knows Mm -hmm. but i think if that had been made like explicit that would have actually been really a fun thing yeah part of it is this film's general sense of being really homophobic but also this film's sense of tying unwillingness to do violence to femininity or homosexuality Mm -hmm. and this film is definitely trying to have it both ways with its depictions and commentary on violence. The end scene where the Chiefs are able to win due to Ned's striptease is all about all of these hockey goons out and out brawling after a season that has been nothing but fights. In fact, at one point, the fight moves into the Chiefs against the enemy team's fans in the stands. And all of that has been fine and well and good and everyone has been enjoying that but as soon as ned starts strip teasing then the guy in the booth starts talking about how oh i'm certainly glad mrs carr is here tonight because this is a a certainly a a lascivious display and one of the opposing team members like you gotta stop it that's disgusting how could you allow that to happen when it's just a huge brawl before that I think could definitely have worked as a commentary on how we allow violence but don't allow sexuality if the film would handle that better. I've seen other things that kind of work on those levels, but... Oh yeah, like, it's completely valid commentary. It's just that this film is also reveling in its violence. It's a lot of where its comedy comes from is its violent scenes and watching everyone get riled up by it and it no one gets told off because of it no one has any consequences for their violence the chiefs are rewarded for their violence they become more popular they're able to possibly get absorbed into the nhl 
Mm-hmm. The police show up for the Hanson brothers, who are kind of the new thugs for the team. Then they get bailed out, and then that's it. It's there, There's no consequences to them, like, yeah. beating people up. Yeah. At one point, Reg goes on the radio and publicly calls out a bounty on someone. Oh, yeah. I'm placing a personal bounty on the head of Tim McCracken. He's the coach and chief punk on that Syracuse team. A hundred bucks of my own money for the first of my men that really nails that creep. Wow, yeah, I forgot that happened. That happened? Yeah. It's the problem with films about violence trying to say that violence is bad, but also wanting to show it. It's like um, uh, the Pokemon movie. Pokemon aren't meant to fight. Not like this. It's useless. What can come out of it? Nothing but pain. Why can't you two understand it's not right to force Pokemon to battle this way? They're all living creatures. This just proves that fighting is wrong. Yeah, although the Pokemon movie even handles it better than this does. (laughs) It sure does. I honestly don't expect very good views on violence from film that also just has a biker guy with a swastika and SS bolts on his helmet. Oh yeah, just one of the fanboys, just like there. Yeah, like no one punches him or anything. No. Can we get into the weirdly not that bad scene about figuring out your sexuality? Yeah, I was just about to suggest we do so. Okay, cool. Wow. Uh, that scene. We do need to preface this with there are no healthy adult relationships in this movie and everyone is sleeping around with everyone else. So we have Reg, played by Paul Newman, who is sleeping with Suzanne Hanneran, who is the wife of a opposing team's goalie. And they're talking and it comes up that while her husband is on the road for hockey and whatnot, she has been hanging out with one of the other hockey wives and they've started sleeping together. One night... We were talking about how we hated the life and how we had never done much of anything ourselves. And I don't know why, really. We were like kids. We started playing with one another. We were drunk as usual. And the next week we did it sober. And it was terrific. And it's not quite played for laughs. I mean, like, there's definitely a bit of humor in that scene, but it's this fairly earnest, honest confession that definitely sounds like how people I know have started figuring their sexuality out. That it's kind of a laugh at first, and then it becomes a habit, then it becomes something you're looking forward to. Mm -hmm. And the way that Reg reacts to that is also surprisingly healthy, especially compared to her husband, who was extremely homophobic about it. I mean, it's a reasonably healthy reaction. He's sort of uh, pleasantly amused, but I mean, he's throwing around some language that maybe oughtn't be thrown around in that situation. Yeah. That leads to the first of two scenes where he blackmails a person based on someone's sexuality. Yeah. The the first of which he is taunting the enemy teams going like, hey, I know your wife sleeps with women. Mm -hmm. Uh, not using that language. Yep. She's a dyke! I know, I know! She's a lesbian! A lesbian! A lesbian! Son of a bitch! And the whole weird thing where if someone's wife is queer, that means that they must be as well? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, eventually 
he gets into a fight, he gets kicked out, and they don't have a replacement goalie, so they win the game, and that kind of starts the whole, yeah, we're going to fight to win all these games. The moral here is that you should definitely out people and then fight their husbands. But then, later on towards the third act, Reg is trying to find out who actually owns the team, and he's talking to the general manager. And then he starts blackmailing him about a night that they were both drunk. He came up to see him in his hotel room, and he was cross-dressing and propositioning Reg for sex. Mm -hmm. And it's just so shitty. Reg at no point is ever like shown to be a good character. I will give the movie that much credit. Although, I feel like Reg is supposed to be a kind of, like, lovable scoundrel in the way that Han Solo is. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he has not become that over time, but I think that, like, is maybe how he was written or intended. Like, he's the main character for most of the film. Yeah, but he's a schmuck. And, I don't know, it felt like in this film, Paul Newman was also struggling with the character of Reg and just didn't know what to do with him. Because I've seen Paul Newman act. He's a great actor. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. He's kind of slumming it here because his previous three films were The Towering Inferno, The Sting, and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He's excellent in all of those, and it's not like he just like lost the talent for acting. We also talked about him in A Road to Perdition at playing Mr. Rooney, and he was excellent there. Mm-hmm. Hence, there are only murderers in this room. But weirdly, Paul Newman is proud of that role. Like... There are interviews where he talks about how it's one of his favorites. I don't know. I guess being allowed to just be uninhibited and let all of your inhibitions go, I guess that I can see how that can be fun and freeing mm, sure. for an actor. Yeah. And just not having to worry about it. Yeah, I can see that. See, I've personally been talking to the owner, which is why I've been too busy to call you. Every waking hour, I'm on the phone with this guy. I've been making deals, sticking around, Reggie, hanging. I'm moving. So this is kind of an ensemble narrative. We get many characters' points of views on things. And I think if they'd recentered it from Reggie, Paul Newman, to Ned, that would have worked a lot better. Mm -hmm. Ned as being the outlier who's kind of the only person who's rising above the violence would have been compelling and it would have let you maybe just slightly refocus that and see a bit more of the relationship between him and Lily. And that relationship might have been more acceptable, more palatable. Maybe not like good per se, but if we saw both of their perspectives and why this relationship is failing, it wouldn't make him feel like a shitty husband as much. Yeah, I would probably find that really compelling because based off of what we know about those two characters, both of them come from reasonably wealthy families. Ned has a college education and Lily specifically points out that she comes from money. So them slumming it is partially kind of a fuck you to their parents. There are times when we're dirt broke and hungry and freezing. And I ask myself, why the hell am I still living here? And then they call. And I remember. But we also see how difficult all of these hockey players' lives are with how often they have to travel and kind of mediocre pay and what their general manager is putting them through. So I get how that can be stressful and cause tension within that relationship. And yeah, I think if we refocused it on Ned and Lily, their failing marriage and the progress of repairing that or like watching the highs and lows as opposed to everything Reg is doing, this would have been a much more compelling film. Right, that'd be functionally the Mountain Goats album Tallahassee but on ice. And I hope when you think of me years down the line, you can't find one good thing to say. And I'd hope that if I found the strength to walk, 
which speaking of things being on ice again for how little we care about this movie oh boy i was scrolling through twitter and i was like stop the movie there's a trailer for frozen 2. we have always feared elsa's powers were too much for this world that trailer was better than huge swaths of this movie huge huge swaths one other comparatively minor bone that i have to pick with this film so the film uses a lot of licensed music yeah no big deal lots of films do that however it reuses the same song four times three times in the actual film and once during the end credits uh, right back where we started from by Maxine Nightingale. A lot of you will probably know it from an extremely goofy movie. <laughs> but yeah, just three times in the film and then during the end credits a fourth time and it's just, it just gets so repetitive. I think they use two other songs with lyrics and then a bunch of like organ sports music. Mm -hmm. And the song doesn't quite work as like a motif for the film. Yeah, it's just kind of tossed in there because it was popular. It, <laughs> it was released in 75. <laughs> Right. I guess we can technically get into extra innings, but Slapshot doesn't really have a training gimmick or a training montage, so... No, it really doesn't. It doesn't really have a montage. And part of that is just due to the age. I mean, Rocky only came out a year before this, so a lot of those tropes hadn't been set in stone yet. We hadn't defined what the hallmarks of a sports movie are. Right. This also much more fits the mold of a sports comedy, and I can definitely see how this influenced other sports comedies like Caddyshack, but more and more we're seeing kind of a blending of those two genres, where like you have legitimate sports movies with all these montages and training gimmicks, but you also have the parody comedy movies using those to tell their own stories as well. Yeah. Yeah, so kind of by default, both of them are gonna go to Blades of Glory. But let's talk about those, because they're oh, definitely. amazing. I mean, the training gimmick is trying not to decapitate someone. <laughs> yeah. When we started this thing, I thought the weirdest training gimmick was going to be the wax on, wax off thing. I thought that was going to be the pinnacle. I did not expect decapitation to be a training gimmick. Yeah. Like specifically avoiding it. But yeah, we get this one scene where Will Ferrell's character is just continuously doing these flips with a mannequin suspended by ropes. And you just see like dozens of mannequin heads all across the ice. <laughs> and um, Josh Eater's character, who is supposed to be represented by the mannequin, just picks up one of the heads <laughs> and just looks at it very frightened. <laughs> And there are a number of training montages, which do a decent job of compressing time into a shorter amount of time, which is what montages yeah. are supposed to do. And there, like, there's a lot of good bits in the montage scenes where they're at the dance studio. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if Blades of Glory did have some competition this week, I, it has some really strong parts for extra innings. Right, but also, as we said at the start, Will Ferrell has technical competence. Yeah, it's really just when you 
let his sense of humor just go off unchecked, it gets weird and gross and unappealing. And I have actually one more extra inning for this for these movies because we're dealing with violence and also we said this was a showdown on ice who would win in a fight the chiefs or Jimmy McElroy and Chaz Michael Michaels on ice we're we're assuming the fight is happening on ice big question do Chaz and Jimmy have their rocket skates no but Chaz has a gun (laughs) (laughs) actually no yeah it's better with rocket skates everything's better with rocket skates so yes they have rocket skates okay but does Chaz still have the gun that we have given him yes but it is a flash gun like flash paper flash paper yeah like it's not even a gun it's just he tosses the paper okay (laughs) it reacts with air okay I definitely thought he fired a gun (laughs) (laughs) I really don't know sports (laughs) That's not even a sports thing. That's like a magician thing. What do I know about magicians? I think even with the rocket skates and the flare gun that we have given Chaz, I still have to give it to the Chiefs just because, A, they have gotten very good at fighting. We have seen Chaz and Jimmy fight. They are not good at it. But you know what we also seen Chaz do? Decapitate people. He's deca- He's done a lot of decapitations. Yeah, but he was specifically trying not to do that. Yeah, so all he has and- to do is try not to decapitate them and he'll fail. <laughs> Next time I'll aim for the mannequin and hit you. But they also have to already be, like, in air. Oh, true, true. It's sort of the exact opposite of that one guy who Hercules fought, who was like, his power came from the earth. And he couldn't be killed. But there's so many of the chiefs. That's fair. I guess I'll allow Slapshot to have this one thing. Yeah. Like, if Slapshot's gonna have one thing, it's winning fights. (laughs) But not this fight. No. Surprisingly, Blades of Glory is going to be moving forward. It doesn't feel great to say that, but I'd feel so much worse saying it for Slapshot. It is so weird to be like, oh yes, Blades of Glory, the less homophobic movie this week. Yeah, that's how low the bar is. Gods. That also means we're gonna have to watch Blades of Glory again? I thought it was gonna be like, like a one and done, never gonna see it again thing. Yeah, but it's gonna be going up against Karate Kid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, what an amazingly unfair competition. <laughs> I know, right? Can Blades of Glory be pre disqualified for the fact that it kind of, as a whole film, just reached out in the face and just punched me personally? It's Pride Month. <laughs> It is Pride Month. It did breed, like, it le- did lead to some interesting discussions, though. That's true. I will give it that. I had to think. And emotionally. And we do have, like, another month before we have to deal with it again. Oh, right. So it'll be in, in, uh, in Gay Wrath Month instead of Gay Pride Month. <laughs> anyway, uh, Blades of Glory moves on this week. Yeah. I promise a much more palatable set of movies for you next week. Oh, good. So next week we have baseball movie A League of Their Own, which also has a decidedly queer energy. Competing against it, we have another female-focused film. Unfortunately, they went up against each other in round one because of the seed. But it is Stick It, which I don't know lots about, but from my understanding, it's what if Missy from Bring It On actually went to a school that had a gymnastics program. That sounds great. So we hope you join us next week. If you want to make sure to be informed as soon as our next episode goes live, you can make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Podbean, and Spotify. But until then, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.